You're listening to the Bethel Baptist Podcast. This recording is from our adult Sunday school class. Today's lesson is taught by Keith Wilkinson. All right, so if you have your uh, little calendar that I keep referring you to, go ahead and uh, pull that out, and we're going to talk just if you go back to where those sample uh, problems are. That's really what we're going to talk about, um, kind of these pages where it has the uh, put on, put off. Those are the sin issues. Again, for those that haven't been here, really this is all based off of what we see in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, really verses 17 through 32, and then in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 17, this concept of putting off uh, and putting on. We're putting off unrighteousness, uh, we're putting off sin, and we're putting on righteousness, uh, godly behavior. And so that's uh, what uh, the, the pamphlet, the booklet kind of goes through in the introductory part and then we get into this area where it lists the sin issues and how you would uh, go about uh, identifying the sins that you're struggling with, what you would put off, what you would put on, and then some scriptural references that help you work through the issue. And so the, uh, um, again, those are not all inclusive. So when we think about a particular sin, as I mentioned last time, if we're talking about anger, uh, those are not the only verses in the Bible that talk about anger. Uh, there are many, many other verses we can go to to look at that. And what you're wanting to do in this process is to evaluate what the Scripture is saying about a particular sin issue, and then uh, you're learning from that, uh, what the Scriptures say about the sin, and then how we would go about uh, uh, putting that off, getting rid of that behavior. And that takes to the, um, uh, well, We'll see if we can get some cooperation. Oops. Yeah. Those are more toward the back of the booklet. So the you're listing my problem. Uh, you're identifying what the biblical references are that deal with that particular sin issue. Then you're talking about the insights gleaned. And those are what you're learning from those Bible passages. What are those Bible passages? passages teaching about that particular sin. And so that's what you're wanting uh, uh, to look at in, the, um, uh, in evaluating those, those verses, right? And then the center column there that's uh, putting, putting off. How have I failed to live by those biblical teachings? And so, again, you're just being honest with yourself. You're coming before the Lord in... Uh, really confessing how you have been sinning in that particular area. And again, when you look at that example uh, that we went through or that we talked about last week with a person that's dealing with anxiety or or worry, uh, that person was just saying that they have failed to live by the Word of God in the sense that when they go to bed at night, they're unable to fall asleep, and they're unable to fall asleep because they're sitting there thinking about their financial situation, how they're going to make ends meet, all of those kinds of things. And so you're identifying what you need to put off. Those are uh, things that need to go away, so to speak. And then underneath that, put on, and the question you're answering there is, what changes do I need to make? And the person in that example says that I I need to pray uh, and and trust in God's sovereignty and fatherly care, really kind of what we were talking about this morning or last two weeks with Ruth, and uh, Ruth was not trusting in those things. Uh, Ruth was trusting in all kinds of other things, but not in God's sovereignty or his fatherly care. And so the person just talking about that, and they have some points there, I need to begin trusting that God knows what I need and will provide it, Instead of worrying about the needs of my family, I should pray about my concerns. I must find my security in God, and I should be thankful for my husband's job in the way God uses it to provide for our family. So those are uh, thoughts. Those are uh, a mindset that that person needs to put on. Those are the changes that they need to make. The next part is, is very important, and that's in the very far column, my plan for change. And underneath it, it says, how will I make these changes? And then that that second uh, question there, what is my specific plan? And I mentioned that's really where people tend to go wrong 
in evaluating sin or tackling sin. They leave things in a very general way. Um, they'll say something, I, you know, I need to read the Bible more. I need to pray more. Um, I, need to, um, I need to be uh, more gentle with people if there are somebody that uh, deals with anger. I need to be kind to people. That's true. You do need to be kind to people. Right, we see that in Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted. Um, so we see that in Scripture, but we have to be specific on how we are going to put that into practice. And, and that's why it says specific. And so in this particular case, this example, um, we saw that the person said, I will commit to memory uh, Philippians 4, 6 to 9. Right? Do not be anxious for anything. Because, uh, they're, right, they're, gonna, uh, they're going to memorize those verses. And the second thing, I will transfer my worry list over to my prayer list. Again, that's a very specific thing. I, I can easily list all these things I worry about or that I'm anxious about. We can then take that and very easily transfer that to a prayer list. Right? I'm going to pray about these things. I'm going to be thankful about these things. And that's very important. We think about that. Even in the example here, somebody that wakes up in the middle of the night and they're worried about all kinds of different issues, the best thing you can do is start being thankful to God for whatever those circumstances might be. The Lord is growing you through those things. Uh, the Lord is showing you uh, different things in that. Uh, but we're turning our, our minds now heavenward. We're not kind of, as Pastor Kirk mentioned this morning, um, you know, our Naomi is really kind of caught up in the physical reality of, of life. And that's where the devil wants us. It's caught up in the physical reality of things, or what we perceive to be the physical reality of things. But that's not the spiritual reality of things. The spiritual reality can be much different. And that's why I think I've, I've referred to this a number of times. That's why I like going back to the book of Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes chapter 1 talks about how we cannot straighten what God has made crooked. That, that's our perspective. We think it's crooked on our end. Um, it's not. In heaven's perspective, it's a straight line. We don't think it is, right? Uh, we, we see our circumstances or the circumstances of life, and we, we think we see the best way through those circumstances. Uh, that's not God's way through those circumstances. And so we want to be careful um, with that. But again, that's part of um, understanding God's in control, just like we talked about, Pastor Kirk talked about this morning. God's in control. He has it. Uh, he knows everything that's going on. Uh, he knows what is best for us. And we need to uh, kind of get on board with that, right? We need to understand what he's doing, uh, be thinking about what he's doing and looking at the spiritual reality. Uh, the next thing... Um, uh, that the person has here, I will make a list of all the ways that God is providing for my family in all the special ways he has blessed us. And we talked about that a little bit in the sense that we, we don't, uh, or we have, a, as, as humans, we have a tendency to overlook the blessings that we already have. We take them for granted. And there's so many things that we can list, right? Um, and sometimes we see things that um, we are resistant or maybe not, not willing to see as a, as a blessing, right? Now you have a, a, uh, a family, and is, if your grandparents uh, and the grandkids come over and they leave and the house is, it looks like a tornado went through it, um, it's easy to complain about the tornado, <laughs> Right? It's a little harder to be thankful about uh, the ones that created the tornado, right? Well, we need to be thankful about the, the ones that created the tornado, right? They're a blessing. Yeah, we have a messy house, uh, big deal. Uh, the blessing is we have grandchildren, and, um, you know, we're not condoning bad behavior, but we're recognizing the blessing that God has given us. And so a lot of that, again, is just a heavenly perspective. What is my perspective in all of those things? Um, again, we can make that. We can easily put those things on the 
the complaint side, the worldly side, right? I can't believe they left this house and now I have to clean it up. <laughs> um, instead of saying, Lord, thank you for uh, providing these grandchildren and, uh, you know, the energy they have, <laughs> the uncontrollable energy they have, you know, however we phrase it, uh, we're thankful for what has been provided. Um, uh, the, the next one there, I, I will daily thank God for his provision and for promising to provide for all my needs. And we see that cl clearly out of scripture, right? So again, these are all very specific things. And that's what we want to do when we put our plan into action. Uh, as we have a plan, we develop a plan. We understand that things are going to change as time goes on. We have a plan today and that plan may be good for the next few weeks or the next month. And after that, circumstances change. And therefore, I'm going to modify my plan for change because my circumstances have changed. There's nothing wrong with that, right? We're just kind of moving along as life moves along. Uh, we're keeping the foundational things in, uh, in mind, um, but we're going to modify things as... Um, or maybe we think that, you know, something we put down that we thought was a good idea turns out to not be a good idea. And so we're going to change that. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's just being practical. It's um, being real about how life moves forward. All right. So, again, those are the kinds of things when we're talking about making things specific. That's what we want to be mindful of, things that are very tangible. Uh, again, when we say, well, uh, I'm going to read my Bible more often. Well, what does that mean? What's more often, right? For somebody that more often may be, okay, now I only read it once every six months, uh, right? I'm going to read it once every four months, right? And we got to be careful about those types of things. We don't want to, uh, we don't want to let ourselves off the hook, so to speak. Uh, but we don't want to make it so rigid that we set ourselves up for failure either. All right, I'm going to, I'm going to read through the Bible in 90 days, and you just find out that with the way life is going, uh, that's just not, I mean, it's possible, but it's possible to the neglect of your family. And now we're, we're sinning in that particular area, right? So we, we want to be careful about those things. We want to be wise about those things. So does everybody understand kind of this transformation worksheet or anybody have any questions on, on the worksheet or something you might employ? All right, so the next part was then I handed out some sheets that were blank, uh, and if you have one of the, uh, the booklets, the calendar, you certainly have some blank worksheets in there as well. Um, how many people went through the, and addressed the sin, tried to tackle the sin? All right, so we had a few people that tried to do that. Um, anybody want to share some of the things that you know, maybe struggles as you tried to put a plan together or encouragement as you put the plan together, questions maybe as you tried to put the plan together, anything you want to talk about? You don't have to tell us your specific sin. We're not, we're not asking you to do that. But, yeah. yeah. Um, I want to say this um, was real daunting to me because I've okay. tried to kind of do something similar to this in the past, but... There are just a lot of things I'd like to work on. <laughs> right. And I get overwhelmed, and I'm like, where do I even start? And yep. so I just decided this time I was just going to write down everything that I felt like I needed to work on. And so, you know, it's a little page. It's a little journal. It's not yep. real big. So, sure. Um, and, I, and I thought, I'm just going to write these down, Lord. These are the things that bother me and that I think that are not pleasing to you. But then as I did that, it was very helpful because what I saw were, and I wrote the put off and the put on. Sure. And when I saw the put on, what I realized is there are some, there were two or three main things. Yep. So then I was able to address the, I uh, just kind of highlighted the things that said the same thing. And right. it really helped because this is the first time okay. that I really felt like, okay, so we need to work on this and we need to work on this. And yep. I can take one of those, yep. you know, at a time and... I mean, I, I'm just now going through the biblical references and writing down the insights, but um, I haven't gotten to the plan part, but thank you. Sure. I mean, it was very helpful okay. to do that, yeah. Yep. Yeah, one of the things, um, just maybe this would be help, 
uh, to Laura or anybody really. Uh, one of the things I may have kind of gone over a little bit too quickly last week, but again, this slide that I have up here is just one page, right, of, of the sins. <laughs> and if you go to the index, you see all the sins listed there. And you can look at that, and, and it can be a kind of a daunting thing to look at it, especially if you're struggling with different areas. Again, it's not that you're, uh, you know, just this horrible, wretched person that you're struggling with all these sins. It's just people have different sins they've wrestled with throughout the years. And so you look at that, and you go, well, I can identify six or seven things that I would like to work on. And so that's why I mentioned, I think it was last week, as we do that, um, you want to pick one, just one. That's it. Now, in the back of your mind, you're going, yeah, but there's like five or six other ones over here. That's fine. We're, we're just going to set them to the side. So one of the things we can do is we can say, um, okay, I'm going to list the different sins that I have a problem with. And, and maybe whatever that number is, it's five, it's six, it's seven, it's ten, Whatever. I'm going to make a list of those things. Now, the, the thing we want to do is if we have somebody that we really trust, we can go to them and, and have them help us with this and say, here's the list that I came up with. These are things I struggle with. Is there any one of these particular things that you see in me that I struggle with more? It's not that we're going to just disregard the other ones and never work on them. But there could be one that's more prominent than the others, not necessarily in our eyes, but in somebody else's eyes. And so we can ask for help. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's what the rest of the Christian body is here for. We're here to help one another. And so we can ask them, is there something on this list that I have come up with out of all these sins? I've come up with 10. Uh, which one do you think I should work on first? And whatever one they pick, uh, pick that one. It's possible they could say, you've got 10 here, but I think there's another one that you don't see, right? And, and that's not, uh, they're not doing that to, uh, to poke fun at you. They're doing that because they love you, because they care for you. And again, many times we're blind to um, uh, our, our own sin. And so if they were to bring up something else, I would take that very seriously, Again, not that they're trying to come down on you, but they're trying to help you. And so that's what we want to do. And kind of one of the things Laura's talking about here is that kind of these common things. Things fall into somewhat the same category. Um, when we see that happening, again, just pick one of those things because as you work on one, ultimately you're going to be working on the other two or three as well. And so we'll see that. You'll see that with, uh, uh, at some uh, point, you'll, you're going to see some of those things kind of come together in the sense of somebody that struggles with anger, some, somebody that struggles with anxiety, somebody that struggles with depression. Many times those things are all kind of intermixed. And as you work on dealing with anger, it's amazing how, you're also kind of behind the scenes tackling the anxiety and the depression. And so that's why you just want to stick with one, just one. And uh, I mean, that's just, I think I mentioned that too. I don't think I've ever given the homework where somebody has come back and said, yep, I just got one and that's the one I'm tackling. <laughs> Her comment is a very common comment. I went through this thing, and I saw four or five different things I wanted to work on. And that's where I kind of back up and, or tell them to back up. Now we're just doing one. That's it. As much as you want to work on three or four, just one. All right? So um, I guess the only thing I can say is, is uh, when people try to work on more than one, it gets very, uh, gets very depressing in a hurry. And you're really, you're fighting against yourself. And so you just don't do that. Uh, that. That would be my recommendation. So anything else that anybody saw as you kind of went through this or maybe just the uh, 
looking at it now, evaluating the sins and the things that are on there and thinking about addressing some of those things. Yeah. I felt um, overwhelmed by it. Okay. I read through everything two times. I did this two times. But then I also called Mel because I had to talk to somebody because I wasn't sure I was getting it right. Sure. And yep. so um, she pointed out a lot of issues for me. Okay. And now I wish this wasn't in my thinking, but it somewhat is. I feel with my age. I'm really too old to change. You covered it last week. <laughs> but yeah. because of uh, the power this has over me, yep. I, uh, it's going to be one day at a time, yep. moment by it's, There will be no fast. I can't heal this fast. Right. By saying, oh, I'm going to do this. That's not, I must be close. To, this has got to draw me close to God. There's no other way I can change. Yeah. Yeah, and I think we want to be mindful again. We talked about one of the markers of the Christian is battling sin. And there's no age limit on that, right? Uh, so we think about the, the Romans 8.13. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Uh, that is a marker of a Christian. And so, again, when we think about even in the evaluation process of whether or not I'm a believer... That's one of the things we look at in our life. Am I battling sin? If I'm not battling sin, there's a problem. And we have to go back and say, is the problem that I'm not saved? Right? If we're not sensitive to sin, if we're not battling sin, uh, if we're not grieving over our sin, if we have no hatred of sin, uh, kind of all those things I mentioned with regard to the uh, six components of repentance, all those things should be uh, present in our life as we, we battle sin. So, yeah, uh, you're not too old. Um, we have to be mindful. I mean, you bring up a great point, and I do think I touched on a little bit, with regard to whatever sin issue we're dealing with. Uh, this is true typically with uh, people that didn't come to Christ until later in life. Uh, they have trained themselves very well to sin. And somebody that, I'll just, you know, whatever, somebody came to the Lord at age uh, 40. They had 40 years of training. 40 years of training in unrighteousness. Um, it's possible that whatever major sin issue in their life they've struggled with for a long time, uh, the Lord could do away with that in the blank of an eye. And we hear stories about that. All the time you listen to, say, Unshackled, and I uh, hear stories like that all the time. Somebody has struggled with uh, drugs and alcohol, they came to the Lord, and they have no desire for that ever again. It actually is the opposite. It's so bad that they, they're just repulsed by the thought of having a drink or uh, doing drugs, right? So you have that type of a thing. Well, with other sins, maybe... Uh, a person comes to the Lord at age 40 or 45, and it could be anger. And they just really struggle with making progress in that area. Uh, again, we, we want to make sure we're battling sin the, the biblical way. We want to do that. But uh, they need to know that a lot of times that thing does not get undone immediately. We're going to battle. We're going to continue to battle that thing for a period of time. Are we ever going to be perfect on this side of heaven? No. Uh, because we know that we're never going to be perfect this side of heaven, does it mean we stop trying or we stop battling sin? No. We're still going to battle sin. And so, uh, and that's where it's important to, again, enlist the, the help of others like you did, which is great. And then really just be persistent. Be persistent in, in battling sin. Uh, and some of that is really a hard attitude, right? I mean, we know that the devil doesn't take a day off. Um, so when it comes to battling sin, we shouldn't think we get to take days off either. Right? A pastor friend of mine down in Louisville, people used to ask him all the time about uh, if church was going to be closed in bad weather. Again, down there, 
when they talk about snow, they close the schools. Uh, you know, doesn't, uh, a drop doesn't have to fall. It's just talking about snow. Um, and so people were always asking, um, okay, we've heard this weather is coming in, so are, are we going to have church uh, next Sunday? And his, his answer was always the same. The day that I get notification that the devil's taking the day off is the day we'll close church. Otherwise, I'll be here. <laughs> it's up to you to decide whether you're going to try to get here or not, but I'm going to be here. So we have to have that attitude in our own lives. Uh, we know the, um, there's just that battle uh, between the, the spirit and the flesh rages on. So, yeah, good. Any other insights or things maybe? Yeah, really. That's why that Romans 8.13 passage is so uh, important, I think, uh, or should be important. It talks about, uh, but if by the Spirit we are putting to death the deeds of the body, it's not our own uh, strength that we're doing that. We're doing that through the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to be mindful of that as we battle sin. Uh, If we're trying to do it on our own, uh, we're going to fail. That's just the reality of it. So, yeah, it's good to be mindful of those things. All right. Yeah, Chuck. He said, by the Spirit. That, that's what I like about this. There's a process. All right, that, yeah. That is scripture, right? Yeah, yeah. What the Spirit does it is through the Word and us, by faith, believing the Word. So that's where you're drawn closer to the Lord. I've had that in sin battles in my life. But yep. You have no choice but to draw closer to the Lord. Because you can't do it on your own. Right. And like the foolish Galatians who were trying to do it in their own strength. And right. They were rebuked for it. So it is all upon the Lord. He will, like Libby said, deliver us from the enemy. He, he may take it away, like Pete said, or it may linger a long time. Right. It just depends what he's trying to do in your life through it. Yeah. Usually it's to drive you to your knees to yep. cry out to him. And that's a blessing. Amen. It really is. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad Chuck brought that up in the sense that uh, the the great thing for me as you do this is you're interacting with Scripture, right? It's driving you to Scripture to see what the Bible has to say about a particular issue. And again, there's many other places uh, that talk about a particular sin issue other than what he has listed here. Um, but that now is kind of this um, uh, forced intimacy with the Word of God, if you will. And you're really interacting, uh, obviously, with the Holy Spirit in that sense and understanding what the Bible's saying. Um, but you should be having a deeper appreciation for the power of the Word of God to discern what's going on in your heart and then moving you forward. And again, that only happens through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we should rejoice in that. Even if our steps are small, they're still steps, right? And the Lord is leading us through those things. And that is just a tremendous blessing when we think about it. And kind of as we were talking about, um, you know, the, uh, that's why we can't use the phrase, I can't do this, right? The Holy Spirit is inside us. The Holy Spirit will continue to work and move us forward, um, if we will move in that direction as well, right? So that's why we want to be mindful of those things. Um, One of the things that we've kind of talked about here a little bit is uh, trying to pick out one particular sin issue. And that all goes to like when you're filling out the the blank sheet there and you have those in that little calendar, that little booklet. And again, you can make copies of that. You can do a test run to see... Uh, if that plan is going to work or if it works well and if that doesn't work well you uh, scrap that and you start a different plan or you get the input of somebody else and you modify the plan all those kinds of things you can do sometimes uh, with regard to 
identifying a particular area in your life that is maybe the one you should work on, uh, a really good tool to help you do that, and I hand, that was one of the handouts, is the uh, uh, x-ray questions. And so uh, that comes from David Paulison. Uh, he uses this in his, uh, his book, Seeing with New Eyes. That's a great book. Um, Paulison is a guy that, uh, psychologist that uh, became a Christian and really understands the, the process of change and, and what it is that we need to do to evaluate our lives and, and uh, battle sin. Uh, but in here you have these questions that will, and again, I would encourage you to spend time going through the, uh, the article. And just that first paragraph there, uh, why did I do that? Why do you react that way? Use those words in that tone of voice. Think those things. Feel this way. Remember that particular facet of what happened. Make that choice in this situation. Anticipate those possible outcomes. The question why launches a thousand theories of human nature. Why do people do what they do? An answer to this question anchors each analysis of human personality and every attempt to fix what ails the human race. And then he kind of goes on from there. Um, but what you see when you get into, like on page two, uh, he's kind of still uh, flushing this all out with regard to this kind of this idea of why we do what we do, which obviously we know is, comes from the heart. Uh, he eventually gets to these questions which start on page three. And so kind of toward the top of page three, you're just asking these questions of yourself and then answering them. What do you love? So you would say, what do I love? What do I hate? And then he kind of uh, flushes out why we're asking that question. This first great commandment question searches you, uh, searches you out heart, soul, mind, and might. There is no deeper question to ask of any person at any time. There is no deeper explanation for why you do what you do. Disordered love uh, loves hijack our hearts from our rightful Lord and Father. And so that's just a beginning point, right? That's the first question that um, uh, we would want to ask ourselves. Why do I, or what do I love? Or what do I hate? And again, our lists are going to be different, markedly different. There's a, a number of things that I may list that I love or hate, and that's going to be way different, say, from Glenn's list of things that he loves or hates. And so we want to start there, and then, again, the questions just kind of continue from there. I think there's 35. Um, but those help to narrow down what I struggle with. What are the sins that are... Um, most prominent in my life. So if you had a hard time, maybe when you look through the, the list of sins in that booklet and you had a, a list of 10, can't really figure out which one maybe is the one that you want to tackle, these questions can help to narrow that list. And again, these are sometimes, no, don't get me wrong, uh, um, and I don't think Paulison does this, I don't think the article uh, comes across that way, um, some people look at this and think, well, there should be easy answers to all these questions. And that's just not true. You're going to ask yourself one of these questions and you're going to struggle with answering the question. And again, those are issues of the heart. Now, question three there on page four. What do you seek, aim for, pursue? What are your goals and expectations? Well, many times I think when... I mean, we just know that if somebody, somebody comes up and asks us, uh, where do you see yourself in five years? Some people a answer that very quickly. Other people, they kind of go, I haven't thought about it. I wouldn't know how to even begin answering that question. So again, it's going to vary. But uh, so those are the questions. So we're asking them of, of ourselves. Uh, number one there, what do I love? What do I hate? Number two, what do I want, desire, crave, lust, wish for? What desires do I serve and obey? Number three, what do I seek, aim for, pursue? What are my goals and expectations? Number four, where do I bank my hopes? Number five, what do I fear? 
What do I not want? What do I tend to worry about? Number six, what do I feel like doing? Number seven, what do I think I need? What are, what are my felt needs? Number eight, what are my plans, agendas, strategies, intentions designed to accomplish? Number nine, what makes me tick? What sun does my plan, uh, my planet revolve around? You know, we're just kind of looking at those different types of things. I mean, some of these are, again, you think about them, they may be easy to answer, they may be difficult uh, to answer. Um, number 10, uh, where do I find refuge, safety, comfort, escape, pleasure, security? Number 11, what or who do I trust? Number 12, whose performance matters? <coughs> or what or, or whose shoulders does the well-being of my world rest? You know, all, all of those things are important things to think about. Number 13, who must I please? Whose opinion of me counts? Right, All of those types of questions, we want to think about that. 14, uh, who is my role model or who are my role models? What kind of person do you think uh, or do you, uh, do you think you ought to be or want to be? Number 16, how do, you, how do you define or how do I define and weigh success or failure, right or wrong, desirable or undesirable in any particular situation? All, all those things, I'm not going to go through the rest, but you, you get the point. So, um, again, these are questions that you can utilize, and, and I would encourage you to spend time going through this article. The, uh, the article was brought back to my attention. I've, it's been around for a long time. You can see in the bottom there, that was in the Journal of Biblical Counseling back in the fall of 1999. And I think Paulison's book was written in the early 2000s. So, it's been around for a long time. Uh, was brought uh, kind of back to my attention. I'd kind of forgotten about it, um, uh, but I was reminded of it this last week and thought it'd be a good thing for all of you to have in the sense of what we've been talking about with battling sin. And so the, uh, the difficulty is when you get, you see 30, 35 questions, the tendency, like the other things, is to rush through them, try, try, try to get through all 35. Uh, just spend time, slow down. Really evaluate those questions and, and how they pertain to you. Uh, and that will help you to define more clearly what you should be attacking or tackling as you think about sin. Any questions on the questions or the handout and what he's trying to accomplish there? No questions? Everybody's good to go? All right, sounds good. Well, let's uh, we'll finish. The other handout I have there is a little thing called hermeneutics, and I just want to go through that briefly. And I want to go through that briefly simply because uh, we're gonna next week, uh, Lord willing, we'll hop into the book of James, and so we're gonna try to pick that apart a little bit. Uh, starting next week, next week will be more of a kind of a background uh, of the book of James and get us set up to study that, but I think it's good. I think I went through this a while back, but we're going to do a real brief review of this. And again, you see there uh, on the top, it's entitled Hermeneutics. What is hermeneutics? It's the practice and theory of interpretation, how we go about reading the Bible and interpreting the Bible, properly interpreting the Bible. And again, get my attention if you have any questions on any of these things, and I'll try to address it. And uh, again, we're just going to... Uh, is a very, very brief overview of, of hermeneutics. The next thing there, what do we need to consider? Uh, certainly one of the things we would want to be mindful of is that everything we read in the Bible is attached to something bigger. So uh, we're thinking about now as we're uh, just starting going through, uh, Pastor Kirk has started going through the book of Ruth. Uh, we learn a lot of things from the book of Ruth, but the book of Ruth is attached to something much bigger than the book of Ruth. It's just one component of the overall storyline of Scripture. And so as we're reading the book of Ruth, we want to be mindful of that. We know that there's something else going on. 
something bigger than just uh, Ruth and what, what's going on in that story. As we think about that, we also think about every time we read something, every time we study something, we always come to things with presuppositions. What is my presupposition as I read the scriptures? And we all have them. Well, one of the presuppositions that we would have is that the Bible is about God's redemptive plan, the plan to redeem the world through Jesus Christ. We, we have to read the Bible with that presupposition. Reading it with a presupposition that there was some other plan that would have been put in place if Adam and Eve hadn't sinned is disastrous. And it's disastrous because it means that God didn't know what was going to happen that somehow God had a plan, but that plan wasn't, uh, man was kind of in charge of the plan to determine whether it was going to go forward or not. And so we had to wait to see kind of what was going to happen. That speaks very negatively of God and, and who God is. There was no plan B. Uh, what we see unfolding in Scripture is God's redemptive plan. That's exactly how he designed it, and that's exactly how it's moving forward. Back, I mentioned the storyline of Scripture. There's people that uh, have different, I guess, ideas about this. I just think it's best to keep it simple. And very simply, what we see in the Bible is the storyline of Scripture is creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. Uh, creation, obviously, we see that in Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, then we see the fall in Genesis 3. And then from Genesis 4, really, through uh, until we get up to the book of Revelation. Some people would say a few chapters in the book of Revelation are included in that, but we see the, the concept of redemption. God redeeming mankind. That's what's going on from Genesis 4 all the way until we get to the book of Revelation. Everything that we see there is about God's redemption of mankind. And then we see consummation. Consummation just meaning... How are things going to wrap up? What's the end? And the end is what we see in Revelation. Now, we do see some things about the end talked about in, say, Ezekiel, Daniel, things like that. Um, but primarily, we see the, how things are going to wrap up in the book of Revelation. So, again, it's just uh, trying to keep things simple. But that's the storyline of Scripture. Um, the uh, criteria for the canon, uh, I, uh, these, these are just uh, three. There, there are a number, but I think these are three important ones when we think about the Bible. Why should I trust the Bible? How did we get the Bible? What's important as we think about reading the Bible, knowing that what we have is, uh, is accurate, sufficient, it's what we should have, all those kinds of things. Uh, the first thing we, we think about uh, as far as how did they determine what should be in the Bible? One of the criteria was apostolic authority. Uh, again, for the New Testament, it had to be an apostle or one directly associated with an apostle before it was considered to be acceptable. So we have like the Gospel of Mark. Mark was not one of the apostles, but he was an associate of one of the apostles. So it's one, one removed from an apostle. That's as far as it can go. Once we start talking about things that were written in the uh, you know, the mid-150s or later, we're getting past all of those that had direct association with an apostle. By the mere fact that they are removed twice from an apostle, they're disqualified. Cannot be part of the canon. All right, they didn't want all of the stuff happening with regard to um, uh, false teaching or uh, massage teaching, however you want to phrase it uh, to, to be entered in. So, yeah, Gary. I think you look at, um, with regard to um, not going beyond um, an apostle, is that what you're talking about? Uh, what's the, is it in First Peter that talks about uh, the writings of Paul? I mean, that would be one that I would use. Um, beyond that, I mean, if you have one, certainly let me know. But yeah, yeah, personally, I would think it would be very hard to look at, say, something, even if you look at the passage that Peter talks about, the, the writings of Paul and how, how they're 
hard to understand as with other scripture. Uh, even, uh, even that, I don't know that I would use that as a definitive in saying that the uh, that's a slam dunk for this first thing of apostolic authorship. Um, it'd be pretty hard to make that that decision. Um, so really, what we're talking about would be uh, you know, really the decision of the early church looking at um, what writings are we going to even entertain, and um, so you think about how how does that all work and. You know, people struggle with this. Um, I guess that's something you really have to wrestle with. I know, um, you know, one of the things Sproul talks about is we have infallible men making decisions on, uh, our, we have fallible men making decisions on infallible books, right? So we have, um, in the early church, we take uh, 10 books and we throw them in a row. And these fallible men now have to make decisions on which books are infallible. Uh, how do you do that? And did they pick the right one? I mean, that, again, for some people, that's a very hard concept to, to wrestle with. And then we would, um, uh, certainly we would look at, or we would not want to discount the impact of the Holy Spirit and how that moved forward which would be like, uh, there you could go to like 2 Timothy 3, uh, 16 and 17, all scriptures breathed out by God. So we're, to, we're understanding the, the, um, uh, the impact of the Holy Spirit in that. If the Holy Spirit is going to uh, be responsible for scripture, is he going to then allow uh, in, uh, infallible books to be included in the scripture? And I would say no, that's not going to happen. Yeah. Canonicity is something above me a bit. Oh. Uh, you know, to uh, you know, to think through the process of how they're compared. I mean, the Bereans had you know, comparing scripture to, to the spiritual and yep. seeing are there errors that are obvious here in whatever writing they're considering to see if it's part of what's in the scripture. Yep. That's a very uh, a very tedious thing. Sure. And so, yep. hold that in high regard. But on, on just the logical, biblical side of things, if God uh, reveals Himself and is so intent upon giving His Word and He lays upon Holy Spirit, moved by the Spirit to give out His Word, right. we, we have to have the confidence that the God who gives His Word preserved His Word as well. Correct. And so, yep. Presupposition that you start with there is that uh, God protected what He gave, right? And, and He came up with the Word of God through a process protected by God, right? So, yeah. I mean, uh, in general, that's kind of where my thinking lies. Sure. So I couldn't be the professor to share canonicity options or how that all happened. Oh, yeah. I think that really falls into number two. Uh, which is, uh, it has to be in harmony with biblical teaching. And that means in the sense that when you go all the way back to even the writings of Moses, right, as the, uh, the Hebrew nation continues to grow, as we see the, uh, uh, the people of Israel continue to, to move forward, there are only certain things they will include in their formal meetings, right? So while they would refer to or they would, uh, have access to later on in life the apocryphal readings, right? The uh, the intertestamental period writings, they do not use those in any of their uh, synagogue services. So um, it had to be in concert with uh, the teachings that have happened all along through history. If those books were not utilized, um, so when when you think about using the apocryphal writings, uh, they're not used by the uh, now, people of the Jewish faith, they're not considered to be uh, worthy of, of being included in the canon. And we have the same thing with regard to the early church. So all of the writings that we have in the New Testament would have been completed by uh, 100 A.D. And so uh, as the church 
grows are all of what what is used in the church to teach. So we're talking about all the Old Testament books and then the writings of the apostles or one that was associated with an apostle. And that's one of the criteria. If it was not widely used in those two places, it's not included. And so that's just part of the criteria that was set forth. Um, uh, again, the teachings of the apostles, uh, which we could certainly refer to, and then those that were associated with uh, um, the apostles. So you have, uh, or an apostle, so you have obviously Mark, uh, that was a companion of Peter, and then Luke, who is a companion of Paul. Uh, you have James, who is a direct, he's a brother of Jesus Christ, and you have Jude, who's a brother of Jesus Christ. So there's a direct uh, correlation or connection with all of the writers of the, of the New Testament. The one we don't maybe necessarily know of, of uh, who the author is, would be Hebrews. Now, there's obviously discussion about who that is. Some say Paul, some say Luke. Uh, others have different theories on that, but even in those theories would be somebody connected with uh, one of the apostles or an apostle themselves. All right? And then the third thing there, um, again, the continued widespread acceptance and reading uh, in the church. So we got those two kinds of things that go together, um, used in, in the uh, uh, Jewish worship, worship and also used in the early church. All right, uh, the next thing we have is genre, and we just have to be careful about what we're reading. And you see the different kinds of genre there, narrative, there's gospels, which is a form of narrative. We have parables, uh, narratives within a narrative. We have law, prophecy, writings, uh, the Psalms, poetry, that kind of thing, um, wisdom literature, and then epistles. And it's important that we know what we're reading because interpretation does uh, um, at times is, is uh, dependent upon some of the, uh, the genre that we're reading. So we think about uh, um, uh, Proverbs, uh, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Many people take that as a promise of God that if we raise our children a certain way, that they will be a Christian, and we can't do that. We can't do that because it's proverbial literature. It's a general truthism. If we raise our children in a godly way, they will, in essence, uh, uh, behave that way uh, later in life. That will be profitable for them uh, later in life. And so we, we have to be careful with taking some of those things uh, in, in a different way. All right, that makes sense. Any question on genre? Just, uh, okay. Um, the next one there, uh, there are different types, as we read the Bible, there are different types of interpretive thought. Um, there's Christocentric interpretation. Um, it really just has to do with kind of this idea that every passage we read in the Bible, uh, Christ is in there somewhere. And we just have to figure out where he is. Um, but that's kind of this, uh, that's how you would look at all of Scripture. doesn't matter what. And, and uh, certainly I would argue against that. Um, uh, all you have to do is look at Genesis 36, and uh, I think it's pretty hard to find Christ in there um, uh, at all. Right? So um, that's just a, a, a Genesis 36 is a, a the the lineage or the family of Esau, and that's a, so and so begot so and so, so and so begot so and so. It just goes in the whole chapter is that way. And I would find it very hard to to find Christ in that chapter. Now you could probably do some gymnastics to make that happen, but um, I, I, pro I wouldn't agree with you anyway. So that's what we have to think about. Uh, commentary like exegesis, uh, we're just going to tell a story out of what we take away from what we're looking at. We're just going to make commentary or make comments about what is said there. And I would not agree with that type of a thought process, interpretive pro thought process either. Uh, allegorical uh, comes out of the Alexandrian school. It just means that everything we read in Scripture is really just an allegory. There, um, um, uh, there, there's some spiritual meaning behind it. We don't really know what it is, but that's what we need to figure out as we read the Scripture. Well, what's the problem with that type of thought process? 
Very subjective, right? Yeah, so uh, we can have everybody in this room. If we're all reading based on that interpretive thought, everybody in this room, we're going to read a passage of scripture, and now you're going to tell the meaning of that chapter. And with as many people there as there are in this room, we would have that many different ideas about what that chapter actually means if we're reading it allegorically. What does it really mean in a spiritual sense, right? Now, there is allegory in the Bible, don't get me wrong, but it's clear, when there is allegory, it's clear that there's allegory. And then the, the last one, grammatical, historical, and that's what I would argue we need to, that's how we need to read the Bible. Um, it's in a historic context. We need to know what that is. And there is grammar that we need to be concerned about. Uh, words have meanings. Words are used to compile sentences. Sentences are used to make paragraphs. Um, that's how we look at Scripture. That's how we should be looking at Scripture. Um, and everything uh, within that then builds to uh, develop a context. And that's how we then determine the meaning that we're looking at in, in any particular section of the Bible. So we consider genre, and then we consider the historical, uh, the grammatical historical aspect, and that's how we determine meaning in uh, the scriptures. All right, everybody on board with that? Everybody good with, um, with uh, grammatical historical interpretation? So if you want, you can circle that one. That's the one you should be using, uh, grammatical historical. And there's many people that uh, argue against that, but uh, kind of like the other ones, if we're not using that, then I would argue that it's impossible to, to determine the meaning of Scripture. You just can't do it. All right. As we interpret the Bible using the grammatical historical approach, um, the Bible has what's called a fourfold sense of the Scriptures, <coughs> meaning that, uh, again, there's a literal uh, rendering of the Bible. We're using grammar, syntax, authorial intent. The, the author had something they were trying to convey, and we want to know what that is. That's the primary uh, way that we're going to interpret. We're going to look at those things, grab, grammar, syntax, and what the authorial intent is. Um, the allegory, again, that addresses spiritual issues. Um, and it's based on the idea that history cannot contain all the mysteries that there are that are out there. Again, there is allegory in the Bible. Um, we need to recognize when that is, and then what is the uh, what's the spiritual meaning behind what is being presented there. Uh, there is a, 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 a tropological aspect to Scripture that just means that Scripture has a moral sense to it. As we read the Bible. The Bible is teaching us about morality. Um, whether we like it or not, that is actually happening. The Bible is turning itself back on the reader. Right? So that, and again, that's when you think about the, the power of the Holy Spirit to teach us the Word of God and move us on to application of the Word of God. So uh, as we read Scripture, that's just going to come out. And then the anagogical uh, aspect of Scripture is that uh, there's a purpose or an end to uh, the scriptures as we read it. We know that it's moving towards something ultimate down the road. Uh, it's not just this thing that's going to go on forever and we don't ever really know uh, that things are going to wrap up or we don't know that there's going to be an end, um, all that kind of stuff. No, we do know through the scriptures how things are going to wrap up. There is a purpose to it, and well, we see that or sense that as we read uh, the scriptures. All right. All right. So uh, the next thing, if you remember nothing else, we think about reading the Bible is this thing here. Context is king. Right. Context is king. A text without a context is just a pretext. If, if we don't have the context when we're reading a verse in scripture, then it's just something that's building so that we do know what the context is. It's a pretext to determining the context, all right? And that is, that is uh, as far as I'm concerned, probably the most important thing on, on the handout. If we don't know the context, um, we are just working to develop that context. And we, we have to know what the context is. 
And without that, we're going to be hopelessly lost. We're going to come up with things that are um, bizarre, right? I think uh, it was a little while ago that um, I, I preached on uh, the story of the widow's mite out of Mark 12 and tried to show how important context is there, All right? You have so many people, so many preachers that have used that section of, of uh, Mark chapter 12 to talk about how uh, the, the widow's mite is an example to use for tithing. And it's nowhere in there when you consider the context of what's happening. Right? When you look at the context, which really you can go back to the beginning of probably chapter 11 there and move forward, uh, what she does has nothing to do with tithing at all. So anybody that's presenting that text as something to do with uh, tithing they're taking it out of context. They're completely ripping it out of context, right? And they're they're putting their own ideas into what's going on there, All right? And then um, some ending thoughts there. Uh, the Bible is not in chronological order. Well, we need to be mindful of that. So well, we have the first five books of Moses, and then we have some uh, chronological order there, but it's grouped in different ways. So we have the writings of Moses, then we have history, and then we have the poetic or wisdom literature, then we have the uh, major prophets, then the minor prophets. That's, they're all grouped together. Uh, that's how it's organized. And then even when we get into the New Testament, the Gospels are grouped together. Uh, they would not be the earliest writings in uh, the New Testament period. Uh, some scholars would argue that Galatians is the earliest uh, writing uh, so that uh, Paul actually wrote Galatians before any of the Gospels were ever finished. And so um, there are just things like that that we want to be uh, careful of as we read the Bible and some of the maybe assumptions that we make uh, in that area. Um, when we read te uh, a text, a passage of Scripture, we need to be mindful. It goes back to the genre, context, all that stuff. Uh, uh, there is one meaning and only one meaning to every passage of Scripture. That's it. There's not multiple meanings to a passage of Scripture, just one. There are many applications to different passages in Scripture, but there's only one meaning. And so that's our job is to understand what that meaning truly is. Yeah. Oh, good question. Yeah. So what Gary's talking about is you do see in some of the um, the um, uh, the writings of the prophets, you see a uh, what what would be looked at as um, I guess I would say maybe Gary would say different. Uh, you see uh, in maybe that prophet's lifetime. Or shortly after that, you see what I would call a partial fulfillment of a scripture. But then we know that it's attached to something else which is not going to be completely fulfilled until, say, the coming of Christ. And so, uh, kind of how would you wrestle with that in, in the sense of one meaning? Um, people would struggle with that. For me, I would just say I still see it as one meaning. <laughs> because Yep. Right. Yeah. So you you kind of look at that, and in, in with for me, those passages are even where they're fulfilled, say in the lifetime of the prophet, uh, they're always still pointing towards something bigger. So there is this immediate, immediate fulfillment to it. But it's a fulfillment to move toward the final fulfillment. And so I don't have any problem with that. I still would say there's one, one meaning to that text. Um, um, and so those things are solidifying what that prophet said to, to show the authenticity of the prophet, knowing that that's not the final end. It, it authenticates what they say, but it's still moving in a bigger direction, something bigger. Yeah, so that's how I would rationalize it. It's a good question. Yep. So one meaning, many applications. Um, the next one there, all Scripture is profitable, but all Scripture is not equally profitable. Again, we think about uh, Ephesians chapter 2 talking about salvation. That's huge. 
right? We go back to Genesis 36 with the, uh, uh, the lineage of Esau. Um, there's some things we can pull out of there, but I wouldn't consider that to be equally profitable. All right? Well, so we just think about that. And then uh, the last thing there, exegesis versus eisegesis. Exegesis is letting the scripture speak for itself. Uh, we're, again, with authorial intent, all those things. We're letting the scriptures determine the meaning Eisegesis is we're reading into the text. We're reading into it what we want it to say, which is back to that um, uh, that Mark 12 passage with the widow's might. It has nothing to do with tithing, but I want it to say something about tithing, so I'm going to read that into the text. All right, uh, this this uh, this widow, uh, she gave with a, a cheerful heart. Uh, she gave until it hurt. Uh, she set an example for the rest of the nation on how to give. I mean, the list just goes on and on when none of those things are in the text, right? So, again, those are just, that's just eisegesis versus what we want the, the text to do is speak to us to, to um, uh, let, the, let the meaning come out of the text, and that's exegesis, all right? Yeah, Patty. Yeah. I was thinking about, I love the verse that Yep. But there's some verses that also um, talk about the reader being carried along by the spirit because it says the natural man can't understand it. Sure. So I think that for me, I'm more simple minded than all of that. Oh. To me, that just connected for me that it was written by men carried along by the spirit yep. and also read and interpreted being carried along by the spirit. Yeah, we do that. And then we're called to we're called to be diligent, right? Rightly dividing the word of truth. And so uh, we uh, there's that cooperation that happens, right? We're called to read the scriptures, to study the scriptures, uh, to to know what they mean. You even think about uh, I mentioned this passage before, uh, 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 Psalm one nineteen uh, verses nine to eleven. Uh, How can a young man keep his way pure by living in according to your word? With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me stray from your commands. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Right. So it's this responsibility we have to read the Word of God, understand the Word of God, properly interpret the Word of God, and then utilize the Word of God, but that does not happen apart from the Holy Spirit. It never will, right? So there's that responsibility that we have, but realizing that it's the Holy Spirit that's teaching us, that's moving us along. Um, yeah, that's a great point. Great point. Good. Any other questions? All right, we got it all? We're good to go. Joe, you want to close us in prayer? Thanks for taking the time to listen and learn with us. We hope that next time you'll join us in person. We meet every Sunday morning at 8.30 and 10 a.m. In addition to our traditional worship service, we also offer Sunday school classes for children and adults, as well as child care services in our staff nursery. For more information about Bethel Baptist Church, please visit our website.